book of Job, chapter 42. Job 42, where we read the verses 1 through 6. The book of Job, by many scholars, is considered one of the oldest books, if not the oldest book in the Bible, because of the very old form of Hebrew that is used in the original text. And we come to this last chapter, and I think many of us will realize that it comes after the Lord God has visited Job, who had been hurt so badly, the loss of his family, the loss of his business. And then there came those supposed friends who pointed fingers at him and said, Job, you must have some skeletons in your closet, or else the Lord God would never make you suffer like that. But then the Lord God comes, comes to him twice, actually. The first time he comes, and Job realizes that actually... He said really too much and in the wrong way to the Lord God. Then the Lord comes back again, and so Job answers the Lord, and of that we read in chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to John, chapter 12. And there we read the verses 20 through 28. This is also the passage that contains the text for the preaching this morning, John 12, beginning with verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, that is the feast of Passover, were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Finally, we turn to the very last book of the Bible, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ to John in the churches, chapter 22, where we read the verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of God. Let us respond with the singing of hymn 66, the stanzas 1 and 3. The text for the proclamation of the gospel this morning is John 12, verse 21. These words, so these, that is, some Greeks, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. In response to the proclamation of the gospel, let us sing from hymn 69, the stanzas 1 and 2. Lo, round the throne, the glorious band of saints in countless myriad stands. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, do we realize what an immense privilege it is to be able to attend a worship service, a church service? I'm not only thinking of the fact that it is not possible to do so without running the risk of being arrested, jailed, and boycotted in not a few places in the world today, I'm thinking of the fact that when the Church of Christ is gathered, as we are this morning, God, the Holy Spirit, is present. He's in our midst this morning in this worship service. God, the Holy Spirit, is present. And that's truly a most awesome thing. He's here with his word to which he has bound himself. He's very close. He's at hand, says an older translation of Philippians 4, verse 5. A weekly church gathering, however, a worshiping church, is becoming for four out of every five Canadians a more or less strange and, in their ideas, in their mind, an unnecessary phenomenon. And yet this morning, our first song was Psalm 122, verse 1. And we exclaimed, indeed, as we sang there, we exalted with great gladness when you and I heard eager voices call, Come, let us go now, one and all, to Zion, to the house of God. May it be that we gladly confess with David in Psalm 137 that we consider Jerusalem, which is just another name for the church of God in the Old Testament, that we consider God's church, God's city, above our highest joy. That's what David says in that song. Above his highest joy, the church. May it then also be that this morning we desire to see Jesus. For that's what those Greeks of whom we read in our text desired the day they visited the temple in Jerusalem. 
And you know, theirs was quite a bold desire. They requested it at a time when, for many, it was not popular to see Jesus at all. True, there were those who had seen his miraculous signs in his healings, and some of them had even believed in his name, as you can read in John 3. And there were even some outside the circle of the Jews, such as the Samaritan woman at the well, who even confessed him to be the Messiah. John 4, verse 25. And in Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, right on the border, you may say, with heathen them, there also people had welcomed Jesus. And yet in Jerusalem were those who were plotting to take his life. Many had rejected him, and just prior to our text chapter, we read of a plot approved by the high priest Caiaphas to kill Jesus. But now the celebration of the Passover was just around the corner, and already the Lord Jesus had made his entrance into Jerusalem. A great crowd of pilgrims had come to celebrate this most important feast of the Jews, and Jesus also was accompanied by crowds. One of those had accompanied Jesus when he went to call his friend Lazarus from the tomb. John 11 and the other, a great crowd, came out from Jerusalem to meet him. And among these crowds were some Greeks. It's they who make use of two of Jesus' close companions, asking them to introduce them to Jesus. And now we are pilgrims, too. Pilgrims who are on the, the way to the day when our faith will be sight. Well, that we may more and more desire to see Jesus, I proclaim to you the gospel and I use our text as the theme of our message. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Then we hear of two things. We hear of blessed petitioners and in the second place of their blessed petition. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Blessed petitioners and their blessed petition. First, blessed petitioners. I know it's not immediately obvious that these Greeks who were among those who went up to worship at the feast were blessed petitioners. Blessed, that is, as my new Bible dictionary has it, people who are to be envied, people who are to be congratulated and imitated. That's really the heart meaning of blessed and now, petitioners who are blessed by the Lord, like we are Sunday after Sunday, may sometimes outwardly be much pitied because of their lowly, their seemingly forgotten status. That can happen. And only consider these Greeks. They were not, as some have made them out to be, Greek-speaking Jews, such as we find in other places in Scripture. Nor are they true proselytes or foreigners who had been converted to Judaism and as a consequence had also been circumcised to belong to the people of the Jews. No, these likely were, to use a term that actually is not all that complimentary, halfway proselytes. Resident aliens who had become adherents of the Jewish faith, they would have frequented the local synagogue and followed the ceremonial laws concerning the observance of the Sabbath day, as well as the Jews' laws concerning food and so on. And yet, they would not have been allowed to partake of a Passover lamb. 
In the temple courts, they would have been restricted to the first court, which was called the court of the Gentiles. You read about that already in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 8. And a dividing wall, about a meter and a half tall, containing a severe warning, separated that court from the next court, which was the court of women, Jewish women which in turn was separated again from the court of the men and then further on from the court of the priests. So the court of the Gentiles, where those Greeks were, were a long way away, really also from the front of the line, you might say. And that warning in both Greek and Latin said, no stranger was on the pain of death to pass from the court of the Gentiles into that of the Jews. At the entrance to a graveyard at the northwestern angle of the Haram wall, part of the wall around the old Jerusalem, a stone was discovered in 1871, built into that wall, and it bore this inscription in Greek capital letters. No stranger is to enter within the partition wall and enclosure around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will be responsible to himself for his death, which will ensure and sue. And so, although these Greeks were allowed to bring their offerings, yet their freedom to serve the Lord was severely restricted. They were not only looked down upon by many Jews and especially their leaders, there was even one school of Jewish teachers that considered Greeks and other Gentiles in general to have the same impurity as a corpse. Imagine that. You come to worship as you have come. We have come to worship Sunday morning. But... Some in your pew consider you to be dead, impure like a corpse, like a leper, and they want nothing to do with you. So how then can we speak of blessed petitioners? Well, actually, in more ways than one. These Greeks had come, like so many others, to worship the feast, at the feast. Read that in verse 20. And that means but that they had come to bow down and to praise the God of Israel, to participate in prayer to his holy name, to bring their alms, their sacrifices, and in this they surely were blessed petitioners, just as we are. They took refuge in the God of their salvation. And not only that, but they may not have realized it completely, they were the recipients of some amazing promises. I think of the promises made already to Abram that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You read that repeatedly in the book of Genesis 12, 17, 18. It's a promise that was repeated numerous times by the prophets. Here is my servant. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. And let us not forget this. This marvelous, far-reaching promise of salvation and deliverance was rooted, was founded in Christ. In Christ. For in Galatians 3.16, we read that the promises were spoken to Abram and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, 
meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. When you read that for the first time, you say, how can that be? On the one hand, the Bible says the promises are to the nations, and yet Paul in Galatians 3 says it's actually to one person, Christ. Well, but then if you think of it, all the promises of God find their yes, that is their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no fulfillment of any of God's promise. Only in him are true blessings found. Only in him also could these Greeks of our text and any and all those who were found in all the courts of the Lord yesterday and today find salvation and peace and comfort and joy everlasting. And now Jesus, Savior, only and complete Savior, says our catechism in Lord's Day 11, had been teaching and performing miracles in the outer courts of the temple, the very courts from which he had driven out cattle and money changers, possibly only a few days before, perhaps even for the second time, a few days before our text. At that time, we can read in Mark 11, he had taught the people quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, and saying, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. There you have it again. And who knows but that these words and actions of the Lord Jesus had reached the ears of these Greeks. If so, ah, wouldn't it have made them glad? The miracle worker, Jesus who claimed himself to be the Son of God and who did such marvelous wonders, he did not seem to look down on them as well as on other Gentiles. No, he welcomed them. And look, was it no more than a fortunate chance happening that in seeking to see Jesus, they approached Philip, who was from where? Besida, in Galilee, Galilee of the nations. Philip, who many would have considered another suspect worshiper since he was from Galilee, that no man's land on the borders of the nations. Galilee, from which no good could be expected to come. And, oh, it is so that Jesus had denounced also Bethsaida because though he had performed miracles there, people there also had refused to believe in him. You read about that in Matthew 11. And yet the Lord had taken at least one of her citizens to become one of his close followers. And in approaching Philip, though hesitating and not immediately answering their request, the Greeks are blessed. They are blessed petitioners. For Philip tells Andrew, another disciple with a Greek name, who takes the lead and introduces them and their question to Jesus. No, it was not just some incidental, fortuitous chance circumstance that allows these Greek worshipers to make their requests known to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever from every tribe and nation, in the momentous circumstances of the day, the uproar among crowds and the Satan-fueled and motivated threat threats to kill the Lord of life. 
Jesus, Savior, had not forgotten the promise concerning the nations. Oh, no. In fact, he was on the way. On the way to destroy that dividing wall of which Paul speaks in his letter to the Ephesians, that barrier, he calls it the dividing wall of hostility, a wall of resentment which separated the Jews from the Gentiles. He was busy, Jesus was, making way to the cross and to his throne room and to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that all the nations might come in. The Greeks and Parthians, Medes and Africans, Rahab and Ruth, the former barbarians from the low countries of Europe, that they all might be joined together in his service, thus making peace, says Paul, creating in himself, in Jesus Christ, one new man out of two, preaching peace to her, those who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's why, that's why those telltale signs, those pledges of his reaching out to the Gentiles in bringing Rahab, Rahab and her household, Ruth the Moabitess, the centurion, a Roman heathen whose servant was healed, and that widow in Zarephath, in Sidon, Sidon, outside of the borders of Israel, who was willing to give her last big bit of cooking oil to Elijah, remember? To bring them to Jesus, to Jesus, that they might see him from afar. Oh, no doubt, there also would have been others of whom Isaiah prophesied. This, those who, though frequenting the vast and beautiful courts of the temple, had blind eyes and dead hearts. It does happen even today. So they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with those hearts nor turn in which case Christ would have healed them as the prophet said. But here are some, just some unnamed, nondescript Greeks. Seemingly, according to human view, lost in the midst of that vast crowd which came to worship at the feast. And yet let us believe and maintain this, that none who come to worship, who really come to truly worship and bow down to their God and maker, are lost on Jesus Christ, lost and forgotten. No way. They are blessed. Though the whole world should curse them, Though legions scoff at the importance of a Christian worship service, though the name of Jesus becomes more and more a byword in our day or a swear word as it threatens to do today, these are blessed petitioners. And how much more are we who have received full access to the presence of God, who gather in the presence of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Every Lord's Day, twice, if we are faithful, if we are faithful and have the opportunity as Church of Jesus Christ, partaking of the one sacrifice of Christ. Blessed in being able to make our requests known to our Lord, needing no intermediary between God and, our, and ourselves except for Jesus Christ 
who lives, as we confess in the Belgian Confession, to make our requests known to the Father. He lives for that. Blessed, though we too, as we confess every time someone is baptized, are conceived and born in sin. Though we too in those sins were separate from Christ, as Paul writes in Ephesians, separate from Christ and without hope in the world. Blessed, because we too are loved, are loved beyond measure, though totally undeserving, loved by Jesus Christ. Happy, are we not, to have been baptized into the name of our triune God and King, to receive those blessed promises for today and tomorrow that makes us richer than the richest secular capitalist in the world. Grafted by a true faith into Christ, Lord's Day 7, to belong to his people. May it then be that we may know ourselves, treasure ourselves, to be such a blessed people. That we may be prevented from falling into apathy or self-conceit, or like many in the days of Jesus, looking down on others, perhaps because they cannot trace their reformed lineage back as far as you and I can. And may then every worship service be reasoned for great gladness. And may we delight in calling others to come with us and to worship and seek refuge in this wonderful Savior. So when I come to the second point, let us also pay attention to their blessed petition that we too might see Jesus and live. Sir, we would like to see Jesus, they said. Sir, they said it so humbly with respect in their voice. Sir, they used that term of address which someone might use today. I think children at school might say that also to their male teachers. Sir, and then express a particular request. May also be used also when you seek an audience with a government official having first to speak to that official's officer or secretary or maybe a sergeant at arms. We would like to see Jesus. Now, I think it's clear, I hope it's clear, that they were not just asking to have a look at Jesus. As far as that goes, they had perhaps already seen him a number of times. True, earlier Jesus had hidden himself when the Jews had thrown stones at him after Jesus had spoken about the necessity to believe in him. You read about that in John 8. And not long before the days of our text, we read that Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews, but withdrew to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. But then Jesus had gone to Bethany, where he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Great crowds had followed him. Many had seen him there. As well, multitudes had seen him and claimed him as king on what we might call Palm Day or Palm Sunday. Now, these Greeks, as is clear from the word for seeing that John uses in our text, they wanted something else. They wanted something more. They desired, actually, to enter into more intimate relationship with Jesus a relationship, a fellowship, an understanding. They perhaps wanted to be helped by him. 
when you go to see the doctor, isn't that what you're looking for? That he might also assist you with the problem that you have, or a lawyer for that matter, or your ward elders. Did they perhaps want to have a private conversation with him? I do not know. About religious subject, perhaps? I don't know. Did they perhaps want to invite him to their home? Had they been impressed with the wonders Jesus had done? Had they seen, had they heard about Jesus healing that man born blind, John 9? And were they present at that marvelous raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for four days? We aren't told, we're not even told if the Lord Jesus granted their request and directed Andrew to bring them to him. You don't read any more about it in any other of the Gospels. What is sure that in the Bible, those who see with faith eyes often have eternal life in mind. And such a spiritual seeing can be a wonderful heart and soul satisfying experience as it was for old Simeon. Remember old Simeon in the temple? Simeon who on seeing the eight day old Jesus cried out, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That kind of seeing is a blessed seeing. And so seeing can be a blessed experience. Think also of God's promise in John 8, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Surely meaning that instead he will see life. Life everlasting. Indeed, seeing is often believing. Not always. Think of Thomas, who wanted to see, indeed, the marks in Jesus' hands and in his side before he expressed his faith. And then the Lord said, Blessed are those who have not seen have believed. So not all seeing is believing, but many times it is. The Lord Jesus, in what is known as his high priestly prayer in John 17, prayed to his Father in heaven, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory. Yeah, to see my glory. And those who see Jesus with such hearts that are devoted to him, eyes that are focused on him, a life that is dedicated to him, may expect wonderful things. Wonderful things. For blessed are the pure in heart, said Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, for they shall see God. They shall see God. They will see things that no eye has yet seen nor ear heard. They will experience the wonder and the glory of a new heaven and a new earth, that vast gathering, a multitude that no one can count from every tribe and every nation. What do we read in Hebrews 2 concerning a blessed seeing? The writer first quotes Psalm 8, which testifies concerning man's blessed position as God's ambassador. And then the writer goes on to say, in putting everything under him, God left nothing out. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus 
who was made a little lower than the angels. There you have it. But we see Jesus with faith eyes. It's a blessed position to be in. That's why it's not enough to know, even to know lots about Jesus. Of course, it's good to know lots about Jesus. But it is not sufficient to do things, even to do lots of things, out of a religious duty or obligation. Job, one of the few people of which the Bible says that he was blameless and upright. Job 1 verse 1. First thing that's said about Job. He was blameless and upright. He was yashar, a beautiful word in the Hebrew language, which means exactly that. He was not a man who was out for success and money, even though he had lots of that. He walked uprightly with the Lord. He led an exemplary life. He defended the fatherless and the widow, communing with his family in love. Against him, nothing vile, nothing shameful could be alleged, although his supposed friends did accuse him plenty. Yet what does Job say when God had put him to the test and showed him the evidence of his fatherly care and his providence in upholding all things and governing all things so that Job finally was assured that God does not and will not let go of those who are his. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now my eyes have seen you. That's where the Lord wants to bring all of us. That our eyes, our faith eyes will see him. That surely that is different from knowing, just knowing lots of things about Jesus, as important as it is, knowing your catechism, as important as that is. To see with faith eyes is something very special. He would have us so trust in him, so live in him, and with one another that Jesus Christ might be before us night and day that we might treasure the blessings that you and I have found. Treasure the blessings. The blessings that have been made our own by grace through faith in Christ, in the knowledge that whatever might happen to us in this mortal life, illness, loneliness, depression, disappointment, even death, deep personal hurts in family life, in business, in church affairs, that nothing can separate us from the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. Nothing except for unbelief. Have we failed at times? Are we failing to see Jesus in our family, our personal life? Is it sometimes difficult for your children, my grandchildren, to see Jesus in your walk of life, my talk of life? May we repent, sincerely repent. May we put our hands over our mouths so quick to say reprehensible things, yet oftentimes so slow to praise and give thanks to our God and Savior. Are we sometimes slothful, 
uncommitted as far as the worship services are concerned. I hope not, but it can happen. Does the fact that you are meeting in the presence of God and together as the body of Christ, does that sometimes leave you cold, uninterested? Again, I say I pray not. Instead, may it make us glad to be so blessed. The Greeks that day, so long ago, were on the way to seeing Jesus, on the way to knowing him. They'd come to worship despite the opposition that would have come their way because of their lineage, to their despised birth. They were on the way, if Christ and the Holy Spirit would so lead them, to become Christians that their petitions throughout their lives might be heard and brought to the Father by him who said, Come to me, I will give you rest. Just take my yoke, which is easy on you, and learn of me. I don't know what happened to them. It doesn't matter either. We hear the Lord Jesus following the words of our text, saying that his hour had now come, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified to die that bitter and shameful death on the cross that we will commemorate next week. A pivotal time, therefore, yet one in which the Lord Jesus would go on to make progress even to the day that he would be lifted up from the earth and so to draw all men, that is, all those whom the Father had set apart for himself, to himself. So may we see Jesus. So in prayer and faith progressing, until that day of which we read only a little bit in Revelation 22, the day when we will see the crop that Christ today is gathering expanded and so full and so rich so that it will fill the earth with its bounty and its beauty, the day of the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations, many of whom today are still estranged from God, when there will be no longer any curse. The day when the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants, both small and great, will serve him. We will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. What a privilege and what a blessing. Amen. <laughs>